Hello, and welcome to Husband and Wife Time, a podcast celebrating Lifetime movies. I'm Matt Caprelletti. And I'm Elizabeth Blickle. And we're here to talk to you today about Fatal Honeymoon. This is our first, and probably last, foray into the based-on-a-true-story territory. Yeah, I don't think we're looking to make this a true crime podcast. There's a lot of those out there. This one is about two Americans honeymooning in Australia in 2003. Right off the bat, I'm going to say that the sequence in which we tell you the plot is not the sequence of the movie. We rearranged the events of this couple's courtship, marriage, and untimely death to uh, reflect a linear plot because this movie jumps around so many times that I found it incredibly confusing without the prompting at the bottom of what year it was, and it would just be way too confusing to relay all of that. Yeah, they're relying a lot on supers in this movie, so um, we'll just kind of give it to you straight. There are flashbacks, there are flash forwards, it is all over the place time-wise. Yeah. So with that in mind, should we wink? Dive right in. (laughs) Oh, geez. (laughs) I suppose we should. So, as we said, this is about a couple. Their names are Tina Watson, who's played by Amber Clayton, and Gabe Watson, who's played by Billy Miller. They met in college prior to 2003. 2003, I believe, is the time of their fatal expedition. That's correct. Yes, they honeymooned in October of 2003. Okay. Tina, I will describe her as a beautiful Nagzima face wash in the 90s blonde. (laughs) She looks like a store brand Kate Bosworth. (laughs) She's very beautiful. Yeah, that's accurate. And Gabe is a sort of beefier, fratty brunette. He looks like the kind of guy who would stuff someone in a locker. Oh, very much so. Or I suppose murder his wife on their honeymoon. (laughs) Yeah, there is that. So we open up. Wait, now I'm confused. Because I have in my notes that they met a a college house party in 2008, but there's no way that's that's right. Okay, see, even I was confused with the supers about where we were in time, but I think it was a few years before their honeymoon. Yeah. They met at a college house party, and I don't, let's say it's 2000. I'm not sure what year it was. Yeah, I think that they were like 25, 26 okay. when the honeymoon happened. So let's um, say it's it's the late 90s, early aughts. Yeah. She is wearing a bronze cap sleeve lace top and a knee length black pencil skirt, which is not how college students dress. I don't care if it was the South. They were in Alabama. I don't care if it was the South. It doesn't look demure. She looks like a divorcee who's been out of the dating game for like 26 (laughs) years and is just trying to put herself out there. Mind you, she's a beautiful young woman. It's one of those looks that Red Book would probably have showed in like 1997 (laughs) and they would say it could transition seamlessly from the office to a nighttime date with just switching your shoes from flats to heels. (laughs) And adding a bold lip, bold 
lip. <laughs> Presuming that nighttime date involved a college house party where there was a pool table or a ping pong table. I feel yes. like there was some sort of sport table. It near was them. it was wrong for the situation. And it was wrong for a college student. I do not know college students who dressed like that. It just, it looked very old fashioned. I did not attend college in Alabama, but I'm a little bit closer to their ages than than you might be. Okay, so how many cap sleeve lace dresses did you see for a night on the town? Very few. In fact, I remember from my college time, the stereotype of what women wore was a pair of black kind of stretchy pants yes uh and a kate spade bag uh, okay as the the key accessory did they wear the steve madden chunky yes platforms? yes yes, yes. Did. that would have been uh, <laughs> a nice uh, a fair bit of like backless shirts and things like that but this isn't to say that the, the men's fashions were uh, any better. Uh, you know i mean uh, anyone who knows me listening to this podcast might remember that i had a Big baggy Nautica shirt with several <laughs> flags on it that I wore throughout college. So the rest of the movie, when they're showing her in college, Tina wears like a t-shirt and jeans, which does actually feel very much like something a college student would wear. I I don't see young women dressing like this. This really it, caught your eye, didn't it? It did. It did because I understand that lifetime moments are not like fashion turns, but when something feels tonally incorrect, I feel compelled to mention. It. I mean, an, a 19 year old wearing a cap sleeve lace <laughs> shirt and a knee length skirt to go to a party at a house where she's trying to meet the guy she's going to like pursue. I, it took me out of the scene because I was like, th- there's no 20 year old who dresses like this. Okay. I can't. I can't pretend like we're really in this world. And see here, what I noticed about the scene was, oh, college party and the way in which they had their first kiss. And oh, the, the, that the, kiss. The, the, the fact that uh, it happens precisely after Tina notices Gabe, who had ostensibly shown up at the party. It was a party. Invited by her. Yes, it was her friend's party. He showed up because she invited her. And then there he okay. is just chatting away with two other women in the kitchen yes so we from the moment their relationship starts we know he's not the greatest guy not to equate flirting with other women with murdering your wife those two are not synonymous but we know he's not a good guy despite that she lets him hoist her up against the wall yeah and just Go to town on her face. Now, if this were an 80s movie, (laughs) there would be a sax solo accompanying that like you wouldn't believe. Okay, so they meet. They start their courtship. We learn early on that Tina's dad, Tommy Thomas, played by Harvey Keitel. Do we need to pause for a moment for you to have a Tommy Thomas moment? Uh, No, but Harvey Keitel obviously is a heavyweight. So the fact that he is in... This Lifetime movie, obviously he brings what Harvey Keitel one would expect of him to the table in his role as the concerned, maybe overbearing, but rightfully concerned because Gabe doesn't seem like a good egg. Yes, I am putting out a plea. If on the off chance there is someone with any made-for-TV movie knowledge listening, please contact us. Because I am desperate to know what a Harvey Keitel or an Eric Roberts could expect to net for this movie. 
There is some trivia I will introduce at the end of this episode oh, that, that makes me really curious about what incentivized Harvey Keitel to take this role. And I'm assuming when we get someone like Harvey Keitel or Vivica A. Fox, who will eventually get to her movies, that there is a money element, or I guess in Vivica A. Fox's case, it's a production element yes. to it. But I'm assuming for Harvey Keitel, he did not produce this. So I'm assuming there was some sort of money incentive for him. Or he maybe knew about the real case and had uh, an interest in it. I don't know. Okay. Well, anyways, Tommy Thomas does not like Gabe because Gabe refuses to let Tommy dance with Tina at a family party. Oh, yeah, that was bad. He doesn't let him cut in, which is a very weird thing to happen. Not only was it a family party, it was her parents' 30th anniversary party. I mean, he should have been dancing with his wife since it was their anniversary party. But a single dance with your daughter. Yeah. And he probably just wanted to break her away from this Gabe guy because he's not a good guy. Yeah. He also showed up late to Tommy's birthday dinner. And at that dinner, he keeps talking on his cell phone at the dinner table. That was painful. Yes. And then... He throws a piece of pizza on the table and throws a fit in front of Tina and her unnamed mom and unnamed sister. Oh, no, her sister is named Alanda. Oh, okay. Well, there was a lot going on with the timelines. I didn't. I was also distracted by the fact that he spiked the piece of pizza on the table. Okay. If we're going to talk about character, if I was on the jury. There will later be a jury. We'll get to it. I know we're moving slowly, but there will later be a jury. If I was on that jury, I would have convicted based on that treatment of a pizza alone. I am willing to say, if you treat your pizza like that, you do not treat your wife well. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, he claimed it had onions on it and he doesn't like onions. So that's why he just ruined it for the rest of any of Tina or her mother or sister who might have wanted to eat a yes, slice of pizza. they could have eaten it. Also, there are starving people. Don't throw food on the table because you don't like it. Do you know how many foods I don't like? I don't go around <laughs> spiking them all on tables. The next time I make some lentils, you're just going to scatter them all over the kitchen. I like lentils some ways, just I'm picky about lentils. You'll eat lentils anyway because you think that they have... They give you power or something, or like energy. Yeah, they give me some energy, but yes, okay. okay. Also, we know he's not a good guy because he tells her he's going to propose to her that there's an engagement ring that he's purchased. Oh, this is mind-boggling. They're at his apartment, and he says to her, well, you should just open your eyes. And he gestures She's saying, when are you going to propose? Is this a relationship you're taking seriously? And he says, if you'd opened your eyes, you would have seen. Yeah, and he has the points, this ring in a red pouch that's next to the television, just casually, along with some VHS tapes. Yes, so, which, I, uh, which made me wonder if it was correct to have VHS tapes at that time, and Matt said it was. I think it was. The ring just sits there for six months, right. taunting her. He doesn't propose. And she, of course, naturally gets upset about it. And her dad says, when she tells him about it, that he's taunting her, which of course he is. Yeah. He's that kind of guy. Right. And then after she dumps him, right. he <laughs> proceeds to win her back by going to her office yes. and proposing to her in front of a 
three-in-one fax machine, copier, printer. And again, folks, we've talked about proposals a lot since the beginning of this podcast. They come up more than you would expect, Mm -hmm. considering how dark some of these movies are. Right. If the backdrop is a three-in-one fax machine, copier, printer, Uh the words that come out of your mouth had better be very good. And it will not surprise you to know they were not. Or the words should be, does this proposal have a cover sheet? (laughs) I sent you that memo last week about us spending the rest of our lives together. You've used a fax machine, right? I need you to collate and bind it, please. Not that many times. No, I mean, I I started working at a time where like, you would email docs or like, um, DocuSign things Mm -hmm. more than fax machines. So anyways, after he proposes, he goes to talk to Tommy Thomas, who I will call Tommy Thomas every time I refer to him mm-hmm. because it's a, a fun name. And he wants to get Tommy Thomas's blessing. And Tommy Thomas, the first question naturally is, do you love my daughter? Because he's behaved so badly yeah. in front of her family during this courtship. And I'm going to say this, if you behave that badly in front of people, you probably behave worse behind closed doors. It's not going to improve as time goes on either. No, certainly not. So Gabe, in what might be one of the weirdest responses to do you love that person, says he can't answer that question because it's too corny. (laughs) And then when Tommy Thomas asks again, he says that's too personal. It's between... Tina and Gabe, which is also an incorrect response. And then we also find out that during this time period before they get married, Gabe has brought up making himself the beneficiary of Tina's life insurance multiple times. Yeah. And prior to their wedding, she tells him that she has changed her life insurance to max it out and for him to be the beneficiary. And neither of those things are true. Her father is actually still the beneficiary of her life insurance. So anyways, despite all the red flags and despite her family not liking him rightfully, they get married. Yeah. Which takes us to the fatal honeymoon. Off to Australia we go. Gabe is this super experienced scuba diver, says he's a rescue diver. And that is kind of the focal point of this trip. Even though Tina is not by any means an experienced diver, she hasn't been diving in open water or salt water before. They're on this special cruise that's going to take them uh, to dive above a shipwreck, right? Mm -hmm. And... We see them mingling with other couples. We also see them explicitly refusing a diving orientation before the dive. Twice. Yeah. And the people on the, that are running the excursion ask repeatedly and Gabe dismisses them saying he's a rescue diver. He's experienced. They don't need it. And I think at that point they have mentioned that there's a little bit of current that day. Yes. They said there's a very strong current. And that's when he says, I'm a rescue diver. Essentially, like, it doesn't matter if there's a strong current, which I would think even if you were a strong diver, you would still want any sort of orientation. I mean, the conditions are completely different in every part of the ocean, I would assume. 
I, you know, I've been kayaking on a river. I wouldn't assume that every kayaking experience I would have would be exactly the same. Right. Well, is it? I, don't, I think it was canoeing. Never mind. It was canoeing. But <laughs> the logic holds. One day we'll kayak. One day we'll kayak. Is that how you're planning to murder me? <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. If we ever kayak and something happens, you know what's up. All right. So they refuse the orientation. They do the scuba. They go down the first time. Gabe claims that he has a battery problem, so they surface. Then they go down a second time. And that's when we get right into the questionable death of Tina. Yeah. She struggles with Gabe and points to the surface. Oh, when she surfaced the first time, she said she was having a little trouble with her air. So she, they're back down the second time. She points to the surface. She wants to go up. She knocks his mask off. He embraces her for a long time, like let's say 30 seconds, a minute, something like that. And then when he releases her, she sinks motionless to the bottom of the ocean. So she's not flailing. She's not paddling. She's not kicking. None of that. And then Gabe surfaces, calls for help. Someone goes down and rescues her. They try CPR for 40 minutes. Now, while they're doing CPR... There are two boats. So there's the one boat with the diver who rescued Tina and some other folks trying to revive her. And then Gabe is on this other boat with a couple of other people who were in the dive. I think there are two boats, and Matt can correct me if I'm wrong. I think there are two boats because there's one stationed at the beginning of the shipwreck, like... Let's say the ship is 40 feet. It's at the front of the boat and then 40 feet away at the end of the boat. I mean, the ship, sunken ship. That The other one is stationed at the end of the boat. And essentially when you dive correctly and no one tries to murder you, what happens is they drop you off. You take a line to the bottom and then the current carries you to the other side of the boat. Right. And then there is another line that you like climb up as you surface. I right. mean, I don't, I think there's like, you have a buoyancy vest. I'm not sure you deploy it, but I don't know what those things are called. Right. Neither of us clearly has ever gone scuba diving before. So if any of you folks listening are scuba instructors. Apologies for our ignorance. Exactly. But also I, if I were to scuba, I can't say that my first interest would be in seeing the closed bedroom chambers containing corpses of people who died in a sad and untimely fashion. I would be interested in seeing like coral and fish. Maybe some sea turtles. Sure. But I wouldn't be looking at like, that's like something about that strikes me like walking into someone's watery tomb. There's just like an eeriness about that that I would not be into. I get that it probably looks really interesting, And I'm not judging anyone. It just would not be my vibe. So we'll rule you out for shipwreck dive. Yes, you can. So Gabe stays on this other boat. He tells one of the passengers of this boat that he couldn't get to her, even though he was a rescue diver, the person points out. And when they come over from the other boat to tell Gabe that the CPR didn't work, 
he kind of laughs. Yeah, the reaction to being told that your wife has died is just truly bizarre and unsettling. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to judge someone. It, you know, I'm sure people who their spouse actually dies, they don't murder them. They have... You, you could probably have any range of reactions to that. Yeah. Shock and laughing might be one if you were completely baffled by what yeah, had happened. Right. But in his case, it just kind of seems bone chilling. Yeah. So then... Because we have that other guy on the boat who listens to his account and mm-hmm. says, you better change your story because it doesn't add up. Which was very weird because that guy is one of the people who features in the investigation saying, I don't believe him. I don't believe him. Like, here's what I witnessed. Here Mm -hmm. are all the discrepancies. And change your story seems like you're trying to assist someone in covering up the murder. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that's not going to work. Try another excuse when you talk to the cops. Uh It doesn't seem like he's saying to him, but how could that be possible? Because if if someone presented me with a very murky way their spouse died mm-hmm. and they were a rescue diver, I think I would say that doesn't sound plausible. I wouldn't say you need to come up with a different story. Right. Or even that I'm having a tough time visualizing how that could happen. But anyway, I guess I'm quibbling over a minor. minor yes, detail. but it is weird. So then we... We are moving ahead to the Australian investigation. Tommy Thomas flies to Australia to participate in the investigation. He does not believe his daughter died rightly. I don't know what wrongful death the alternative is. Rightful death? (laughs) Correctly? Justly? Justly. Um, He does not believe it. It was not suspicious. It was definitely suspicious how she died. Foul play involved. Yes. Uh, you know, I told Matt last night that I, I would hope that if Matt asked me about making himself the beneficiary multiple times on my life insurance prior to our wedding, that my dad would have been suspicious if I died 11 days after we got married. Right. So we're just going to break down all of the points that the investigation kind of focuses on. Right. So the first one being Gabe's account of how she died does not match where Tina's body was found. And then there's another swimmer consulted on the dive that says he thinks that she was dead right when she sank, even though Gabe said that she was sinking too fast and he couldn't reach her. Also, Gabe lied to the police about his dive computer battery making a sound when it's in backwards. Right. They checked it and it doesn't make a sound. On that same point, Gabe was also extremely invested in getting his dive computer back from the police. Mm -hmm. He wanted it before he left Australia and they didn't want to release it to him as it's evidence. And he kind of threw a fit about it. Yeah. And the witness corroborates what we described earlier that they saw a woman thrashing, a man swimming to her, bear hugging her for 30 seconds, but not taking her to the surface with him letting her go, after which she starts sinking motionlessly to the bottom. And the witness believes that instead of swimming to the surface, that Gabe could have saved Tina and think that he might have just turned her air off in that bear hug space. Yes. The police also say that 
Gabe thought he was the beneficiary of her life insurance, as we said, but it was her dad, and she did not max it out, as he believed. They believe this in part because Gabe went into her office to ask about the life insurance two weeks after she died, which does seem quite quick. Yeah. He also is shown telling uh, Tommy uh, that he was with Tina when she died. I was, I think he even says I was holding her hand he says uh, while they them, were doing CPR. She didn't die alone. Yeah, right, right. Which is not, I mean, she wasn't alone, but it wasn't with him. Right, and clearly he was on the other boat, so that's an inconsistency. The police also point to suspicious behavior on Gabe's part after the fact is why they charge, eventually charge him, because he exhumes Tina's body from her family's plot to bury her in his family's plot. And then he also removes with bolt cutters flowers her parents leave on her grave. The cops actually film him doing it. He also doesn't have a marker for her grave. And I know it takes time to get those things, but it's, we're talking like years afterwards, he doesn't have a marker for her grave. But the whole situation is a little murky because- They also uh, consult an Australian dive expert who says it's a typical dive accident, but that Tina was wearing a 20-pound weight and should have worn six pounds worth of weight. And Gabe was her dive buddy, so he was the one who oversaw how much weight she was putting in her suit, etc. Yeah, and they show a scene where he's telling her... Yeah, this isn't fresh water. You're going to need to put a couple no more weights on. So eventually, because of all of these sort of suspicious behavior and the evidence pointing to how many times he lied right. and the witness, maybe witnesses, it's unclear, the Australian police serve Gabe with a murder indictment in his new home with his new fiance. Yes. How many years after her death was that? I think that's probably five or six. Okay. Oh, I thought it was... Or or maybe, I'm not sure, at least four. Okay. See, this is why we reversed their decision to have it not in a linear sequence, because I found the whole thing confusing. I thought he was... I thought this all happened two years after Uh, their honeymoon, and that he already had a new fiancé at that point, which to me would be suspicious, because you would think at least a year to grieve... Two years to have a fiance seems fast. Yeah. I'm, but I could be wrong. I'm, I mean, yeah, the I'm really timing not sure is about off. the timing of it. Anyways, so now we are in 2009, which I guess is six years after. Yes. So he's been served with the murder indictment, but he is not, there's no trial happening yet because he hasn't been deported to Australia or yes. extradited. It wouldn't be deported, extradited. Yeah. And there are reporters on Gabe's lawn asking his new fiance questions like, are you going to get married? Are you going to go on a honeymoon? Yeah. If you go on a honeymoon, are you going to go scuba diving with them? And Gabe asks his new fiance to marry him that weekend. They remarry. And then he goes to Australia and turns himself in. Right after they get married. Gabe agrees to plead guilty. He says, I panicked. I left my wife to die. He pleads guilty to negligent manslaughter. He sentenced to 12 months in jail. And Tina's dad realizes that Gabe made this deal before he left the States. He complains. 
and the sentence gets increased to 18 months. Seems low. Little light. So he serves the 18 months and flies back to the United States, and then he's arrested by the FBI. But that case gets thrown out in Alabama. So we then cut to the final scene uh, where Gabe is served his time, I guess, and clear. Uh, well, he has served time. He's served time. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, he's clearly getting back into domestic life. He's hosting a barbecue at his house and he goes to wash some barbecue sauce off his arms when he drops a tray of barbecue. I bet that was good barbecue. His um, no, his his he and his new wife are he's handing her the barbecue sauce and she falters. Wonder how long she's going to live. Yeah. And so it comes out of the aluminum foil pan like a rib jostles to the side and rubs sauce onto his arm. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that point, I would have run screaming out of that barbecue because I would have... I mean, he murdered someone else for less. Yeah. So then he says, you know, it's not a big deal, honey. And he goes and washes his arm off in the pool. And honestly, what a monster. (laughs) Who washes their arm off in the pool? Barbecue sauce. Gross. He's not five. He's a grown man washing his arm off in the pool. And it's not... It's not like Sprite that he spilled on himself. It's barbecue sauce. Who doesn't want to take a dip in a pool with a little bit of, I don't know, sweet baby rays? Chlorine and barbecue sauce. Maybe a little pork chunk if you're lucky. (laughs) (laughs) I'm willing to believe he's guilty based on that alone. I don't know many adults who would be like, oh, I got something on my arm. Is there a napkin or a paper towel? No, 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 no. Not for me. (laughs) I want to use... The entire pool. Also, I mean, in a pinch, why not just like lick your arm? I bet it's good barbecue. (laughs) It's Alabama, for Pete's sake. Yes, I would eat that barbecue. So that kind of brings us to the... Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. That does not bring us to the end. So as he's rinsing his arm off in the pool, all of this was just a ham-fisted way for the next thing to happen. Yes. So as he's got his arms in the pool... He sees a vision of Tina in a white dress and her pearls sinking in the water. And then he says, anybody want to go for a swim? (laughs) Maybe that wife who just got barbecue sauce on his arm. Yeah. It was like, shove her head underwater. (laughs) Right. Wife number three. Maybe she won't make so many mistakes and maybe her life insurance will be up to date. (laughs) Right. And so that's how we wrap it up. That's how we wrap it up. So we did not remember this movie. We thought we liked it and we did. I had huge issues, obviously, with the plot line. I think they did that non-linear plot because they had a very short, easy to tell story. And that by chopping it up in flashbacks, flash forwards, and then current day, they were trying to beef up the plot to get it to, I think it's like an hour and a half is what they usually do so they can add commercials. For me, that resulted in a lot of confusion that Mm -hmm. you don't have when you line it up like this. It also created a lot of need for repetition. Like they had to repeat the thing about the battery not making a noise. Sure, yeah. When you put it in backwards multiple times and you wouldn't do that if you were just telling it as a linear story. Right. But what I will say is 
The guy who played Gabe is actually, I'm not going to use this for trivia, but he's been on three different soap operas, long runs on three different soap operas. Okay. And I'm wondering if he's a soap villain because I think he did a really, I think he did a good job in this. I he believed... certainly inhabited the presence of a honeymoon killer. Yeah. Yes. And the storytelling in terms of getting me to believe that he was had a bad character, I think that storytelling was good. You know, the throwing a temper tantrum at her father's birthday party yeah. and not letting the father cut in at his anniversary party. Yep. And then also there was this moment at the rehearsal where Tina was talking to Tommy Thomas, her father, and Gabe was waiting for them to walk up the aisle and they didn't walk up as quickly as he oh, wanted. And so right. he runs back and says, if you won't bring her to me, I'll grab her for myself or something like that. Yeah, really kind of a unpleasant move for a wedding yes. rehearsal. Yeah, and I was willing to believe based on the instances they created that he was not a good person. I can't believe I didn't think about it at our wedding rehearsal. <laughs> no, everyone was so polite and orderly. <laughs> you know, I wonder how many of your friends said, can't get cold feet now, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zero. <laughs> Matt's just too scared to tell me because he doesn't want me turning my wrath on any of his friends. <laughs> but, I, you know, I thought there were good elements to the writing and I thought he was a good actor and the girl was fine. She was pretty enough that I was willing to look at her the whole time. You know, I would, I would have watched her... Even if she was a bad actress, I would have been fine watching her. She was a fine actress. I didn't think her role was as fun, obviously. Yeah. You always want to be the villain in these movies. Sure. You're given like the most interesting stuff to do. Yeah. And I thought Harvey Keitel was good. Again, I just cannot believe they got him to do it. Yeah. You know, he. the thing about this movie is, I feel like Lifetime now is sort of aware that people don't really turn to Lifetime for reality and they want things to be completely ridiculous. So when you compare an Eric Roberts performance to a Harvey Keitel performance, I think Harvey Keitel played it actual grieving father. Yeah. The grief was sincere when he hears his daughter has died. Yes. He falls to the floor sobbing and I don't mean that like in a histrionics way. He just like, he kind of crumples. Yeah, he's devastated. It felt realistic to yes. me. And I think that might be why tonally it doesn't feel as current Lifetime anymore. Sure. It was made a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, this is probably one of the first Lifetime movies we ever saw. It came so. out in 2012. I think so. I don't know that we'll revisit that many old Lifetime movies for uh -huh. that reason, because I kind of like the ridiculous yeah, the camp More. factor of uh, a psycho wedding crasher. Sure. And I don't know that this... I think Harvey Keitel made the right choice. I wouldn't have gone ridiculous for this either. These are real people. It yeah. would have felt a little bit... Yes. ...trivializing or diminishing their, their genuine pain. Yeah. You know, the stakes are different, I guess, when it's a real story. So mm -hmm. we liked this. I, You know, he was a hateable villain. Yeah. Harvey Keitel was Harvey Keitel. Aside from rearranging it, I don't think there's much I would have done yeah. differently mm -hmm. aside from dressing her like a 20 year old when she's a 20 year old. Yes. But yeah, I think they did a good job. Is there anything you wanted to say about this? No. I mean, 
I think that uh, obviously the tragedy of their honeymoon, I mean, that's something that no couple who goes on a honeymoon hopes would be the outcome. So well, I think he hoped it would be an outcome, love. Yeah. I think he had an agenda in mind. Oh, to be clear, for legal reasons, I would like to mention... When we discuss any of this, we are talking about the fictional characters of Gabe Watson and Tina Watson and Tommy Thomas within the context of this Lifetime movie. We do not know anything about this case. If you want to read about it, read about it. We have no skin in this game. I don't know if he's guilty or not. I don't think we have anything else to say unless Matt wants to talk about our honeymoon for a long time. I mean, I don't think that that's (laughs) necessary given the circumstances of this film. I mean... The fact that Cipro and me sampling the ginger ale at uh, Fez's famed Cafe Clock instead yes. of the Camel Burger, which you got to eat. Um, yeah, it was fine. I guess nothing to write home about. But No, I mean, yeah. beef trumps camel any day of the week is, okay. is my review. Okay. Just my taste, yeah, but sure. you know, in terms of burgers, now am I willing to try camel presented to me another way? Sure. Yeah. And do I like beef better than camel because that's what I, my tastes are acclimated to? Sure. But in terms of Moroccan cuisine, I would prefer a tagine or a couscous or what was the, oh God, what was the The pastry? flaky pastry? Uh, uh, pastilla, which yes. you very lovingly arranged for me right after I was coming out of being sick. Yes, uh, we both got especially make it. We both got sick in different cities at different times. My sickness happened shortly after eating. I believe the cause of it was in part eating too much homemade yogurt. There was a lot of homemade <laughs> yogurt. Yes, it was so good. I don't know why. I have no idea why. But Morocco, their homemade yogurt is demonstrably better than it is in the United States. I I don't know what it is. I don't know why. I didn't bother asking. I would eat it all again. Very good. Yes. But the real question is, Matt, what did you put in my yogurt? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, conveniently, I don't like yogurt. I've been cultivating that since I was four years old. He poisons the one thing he knows I won't feel compelled to share. Yeah. (laughs) This is why I have told my friends and family that if I die, regardless of the circumstances, they are to investigate heavily and assume Matt did it. And I have said that in front of all of my family members, in front of Matt. (laughs) I've probably said it in front of his family members. And I do not feel bad about that because... The statistics support me saying that. That's right. I believe there's, I can't, I I haven't listened to it, but I think there's actually a podcast called The Husband Always Does It, or It's Always the Husband, or something like that, based on the fact that every murder that happens, it's usually the husband, or the boyfriend, or the ex-boyfriend, but it's not, you don't have to look, when a lady dies in a suspicious way, it's like, Let's see who who the men are surrounding her usually. Right. And I'm not being flip about that. I'm just saying that's... You're taking us down a very different path of husband and wife time. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So with all of that in mind, I guess why we mentioned that, listeners, is because, again, if we go on this kayaking trip and something weird happens and Matt survives and I don't and we're both not experienced kayakers, I mean... 
should you be online researchers into the circumstances of my death? A hundred percent you should. Of course you should. I mean, <laughs> this not both not experienced kayakers, little does she know I spent my youth on the Hackensack River uh, kayaking away. He's trying to convince you by saying things like good egg and other non-threatening ways of speaking that Matt is not a threat. Don't be fooled. <laughs> All right, I think we've talked Fatal Honeymoon to death. So with that, we are going to turn to the trivia. Okay. There is not a lot. No, nor nor should there be. I've told you that Billy Miller is, was in a bunch of soaps. Nothing else interesting about Gabe Watson or Tina Watson, the characters. So Harvey Keitel, what job do you think he had when he was a struggling actor? He was a longshoreman. No. He was a court stenographer for 10 years. Really? Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. He was also nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Do you know what movie? I don't know. Bugsy. Bugsy, okay. Okay. Now, here's the bit of trivia that made me start to wonder about how he was incentivized to do this. Did you know that as of 2020... Harvey Keitel has appeared in seven films that were nominated for Best Picture Academy Award, including Taxi Driver, Bugsy, The Piano, Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, The Grand Budapest Hotel, and The Irishman. That's a range. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've been wanting to tell Matt this piece of trivia for a few days now. Who did Harvey Keitel say in an interview with Larry King is his favorite actor? Someone whose performance in a 1993 movie that I will disclose nearly made him leave the business to make way for new talent. Gosh. You will never guess this. I could let you guess this until there is not breath left in your body and you would not land on it. Eddie Murphy? No. It's so much weirder. The person and the movie are so much weirder. Okay, I'm just trying to think of 1993. I mean... You have not seen this person since, I'm going to guess, 1997 at the latest. Man or woman? Man. Okay. Uh, Joe Piscopo. No, it's so much weirder. I'm just going to tell you. According to IMDb, Harvey's favorite actor is Polly Shore. Oh, wow. And his performance in Son-in-Law <laughs> nearly made him leave the business to make way for new talent. Nearly Son-in-law. made Harvey Keitel yes, leave, the, leave business. the business. He's you see Son-in-Law and you think I have to get a new career. Wow, that is powerful. Maybe go back to being a court stenographer. So if that's not enough to wet your trivia appetite, <laughs> I'm going to tell you something about honeymoons. Okay. Which Anyone could figure out based on a, again, cursory Google search, my favorite kind. (laughs) So when do you think the custom of the honeymoon originated? As it in its, in nearly its modern fashion, not, not old timey. I'll say 19th century Europe and people Taking the grand tour. Yes, you are correct. It originated in the early 19th century in Great Britain, 
upper-class couples would take a bridal tour, sometimes accompanied by friends and family, to visit relatives who couldn't attend the wedding. And then the practice spread to other parts of Europe. In France, it was known as a voyage à la façon française. Oh, wait. Pardon. (laughs) In France, it was known as a voyage à la façon anglaise. Ah. Française would be French. Eggs à la française. It wouldn't make sense, yes. They eat tons of eggs à la française. Uh, So honeymoons in their more modern fashion of just the couple going alone on a purely romantic trip became a thing during the Belle Epoque. Okay. Although contemporary medical opinion was against it because of women's frail health. Yes. (laughs) Never mind that all of these women would be expected as soon as they came back from the honeymoon to go through childbirth. Yes. But they're frail. Numerous times. So weak that they could only handle cranking out a human, but not walking onto a cruise ship and riding across an ocean. Right. All right. I think we've dragged this out long enough. (laughs) Sounds about right. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so. Okay. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at husbandandwifetime at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at husbandandwifetime. If you like this episode, please rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks. Bye. Bye.